It's almost the weekend. It is. Today is one of those special days where we record on the actual day that we, you know, advertise that we do. That's true. That's true. Yes. The uh, It's almost the weekend universe and our real lives match up. Yeah, which I really like just as like a... Um, like a theming thing you know like it, we we say that it's almost the weekend and it genuinely is and that energy is there and you can feel <laughs> the weekend approaching yeah you can tell we're very excited that it's uh, almost the weekend <laughs> exactly exactly yeah uh, not not a lie well i mean it's it's never a lie but <laughs> <laughs> oh we, we do God. lie every now and then we lie uh, anyway uh <laughs> Marion, how, how are you doing oh i'm doing good i'm doing good bro it's like it's hay fever has arrived oh. if, if you're a if you're out there, you're a fellow hay fever sufferer, you live in Australia, spring has sprung, the end of days has come. Yeah, um, it's sprung oh. its ugly, hairy legs. <laughs> oh, gross. It's so gross. Um, but other other than that, I'm doing okay. Um, man, I've been playing, I've been playing some video games. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me about your James. Dipping into some James. Uh, I, I played this little, little thing called Mana Spark. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Which is like super small scale roguelike. Um, Mana Spark. Yeah, it's. I've never cute. heard of it. It's it's kind of cute. It was like a dollar. Um, yeah. And it's you know it had basic combat. You got like a bow or a crossbow, and you just walk around slinging bolts or arrows at enemies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just it's pretty chill. Like it's just got a nice kind of lo-fi you know study to this soundtrack type music oh, yeah. um thing going on and it, it despite it being like a really small game that was obviously made by a tiny team uh the music doesn't stop playing when the game loads so you know better designers than kojima on that front <sighs> uh, oh as in like when it loads between levels yeah yeah the music yeah, keeps yeah. going um I, is this I, a reference to uh mgs5 no, Death Stranding. Like, oh, Death Stranding, yeah, that's right. You'd be in the middle of, like, an incredible low raw song and need <laughs> to check the map because, you know, you don't know where the fuck you're going and the music yeah. would stop and, like, I would just go in the wrong direction for the entire length of the song rather than, yeah. like, stop the music. Stop the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I, I wish that they didn't do that, man. Then, Or if, at the very least there was, like, an option to be like, yeah, just keep playing music as, like, a, a you know... As if Sam's wearing headphones in the right. world. Because, like, like you, you, the game doesn't... I mean, it does pause. But the idea is you're, like, looking at the cufflinks when you look at the map. So right. it really shouldn't stop the music. Yeah, it feels like a bizarre oversight, <sighs> especially coming from, like, a studio and, like, Kojima, who's just so obsessed with the little details. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. So they, they keep playing the music. They keep they're playing the music. It's good. It's like a chill time, you know. It's it's nothing to write home about. Um, yeah. So I've had to pick up something else, so I did have something to write home about. Oh. Um, I picked up Castlevania Rondo of Blood, which is <laughs> a fantastic name. Um, Rondo of Blood? Rondo of Blood. I don't know if Rondo is going to be a character. I've never seen that word before, but I'm rolling with it. The vibe is supreme. Yeah. Um, okay. And yeah, just it's like uh, 1993, and I learned from that 
magical Tim Rogers video about Tokimeki Memorial that mm. the lead designer for Tokimeki Memorial wanted to work on uh, the next Castlevania game, which would end up being Rondo of Blood, um, because his partner uh, was in that team. And Konami were like, nah, you got to prove yourself, blah, blah, blah. So, right. so he made Tokimeki Memorial and then they led him on to the Castlevania team and and he helped make uh, Symphony of the Night. Oh, so, okay. Right. So, so, so he I, wasn't involved in Rondo, but no, he wanted to be. No, he was thirsty for Rondo, though. Um, yeah, nice. And, we all are uh, thirsty for <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm thirsty for Rondo. It's so sick. It's got, yeah, like, tell me about it. It's got this slick 80s presentation. Um, man, the level design is awesome. It's honestly maybe the best Castlevania I've played. Um, wow. And it's not like I played a lot of them, but I played one, three, and four. Yeah. Um, and it just does a few things that makes the whole experience better. You know, every every time I start playing a Castlevania game, I'm like, oh my God, this is the original Dark Souls. This fucking rules. Mm. It's like the vibe is amazing. The atmosphere is good. The music is bonkers. Um, and then, like, I end up getting to a point where some boss is just reaming me over and over again and, like, it's my fifth attempt and then you die and you've got to go through the whole level and I'm just like, this is too fucking hard. I can't... I can't do this. Um, right. But the thing that this Castlevania changes is that um, the level design has a lot more secrets and sometimes those secrets uh, end in you unlocking a, a new character to play. Oh, and wow. and the characters play like completely differently, um, oh, cool. completely different weapons, movement, like double jumps instead of just the regular, you know, Richter jump. Um, and yeah, it's really cool. So as soon as I like get to a boss and I'm grinding up against it and I'm fucking getting my ass kicked, I just change characters and it like gives me that kind of breath of fresh air that um, kind of beats the monotony, you know, when you're when you're up against a challenge like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's just been sick, and uh, yeah, having having a ball with uh, Rondo of Blood. Is that on Switch? Uh, no, it's on um, PS4. It was like uh, it came as I can't remember what it was called. It's like a package called Castlevania Requiem, I think. Right. Okay. Um, and it was like five bucks for Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. yeah so I I really wanted to play Symphony of the Night. Like I would have just bought that by itself but since it was five bucks for both and rondo came out first i just started there rondo every time you say rondo it sounds like an australian abbreviation of like a nickname or something you know like, <laughs> like davo or whatever it's like rondo. davo yeah, of blood <laughs> davo of blood yeah oh my god yeah. oh the other thing is the titles of the levels change depending on the character you play oh so, so like um i think i'm up to level seven or stage seven, and if I play as Richter, it's like, you know, blood-drenched, bloody McRip tear. And yep. if I play as the girl character, it's like uh, near the end of the serenade. <laughs> oh, know? my like, God. Okay. It's so funny. Um, Did you end up watching the Castlevania Netflix series, the animated one? No, but I have heard that's actually pretty good. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I think it had, uh, you know, highlights or whatever. Parts of it were less good, but it mm -hmm. was uh, it was still overall quite worth watching, I thought. Yeah, right. I, I have seen, I think, a 
clip of like a fight scene and it's got like Simon yeah. and Richter dodging zombies and jumping around and the fight scene was sick. It looked really cool. Yeah, the battles in that were awesome. The magic is really cool. I really love the characters. It's just a couple of like weird little story points that and, and some parts towards the end that I was like kind of not so impressed with. But overall, like I said, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, um, cool. Good um good Halloween fair. Which is yeah, uh, definitely kind of why I picked up Castlevania because I I haven't been like watching scary movies or playing scary games or anything. And yeah, I, like, I gotta I gotta squeeze in some of that Halloween vibe. A little bit of spookums. Uh, yeah, have you been? Have you managed to get any any spooky stuff going on? Well, um, I finished Scorn. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell me about Scorn. Scorn maybe is the ultimate Halloween game. Oh um, my god. It's definitely up there. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know, man. I have such mixed, mostly negative feelings about Scorn. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the podcast last week, I mentioned that I thought it looked really good. And there was like, you know, the analogy of talking about how uh, Geiger is like salt and you should apply it sparingly. And oh, yep, yep, yep. All that stuff. I think that was last week. I, I'm, I'm starting to lose track of, because like I listen to the podcast when it comes out just to like, you know, make sure that the thing that goes live is right and everything is good in there. And I'm sure you really listen to it and stuff, but I also like just listening to our conversations. Anyway, uh-huh. I was listening to it and thinking, was this last week or the week before? Or like, where are we? And like, I know there's another, uh, I just like lose track of time. Yeah. Fair. Um, so I was like, I can't remember if I talked about Scorn, but yeah, I think I have. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, your buddy Arden had yes. a really good analogy, and that's where the salt, salty dish right. came from. Right. Okay, cool. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, yeah, that the game... I, I stand by pretty much all the stuff that I said in, in the last episode about the combat and how it's clunky and broken, and most of the time, the best thing to do in encounters is just to run past enemies and not engage with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not because you're like scared of them. It's just because they're busted, you know, like you don't right. want to engage because they'll shoot you and you'll end up with less health and have to load it and it's bad. Yeah. Um, I never ended up getting saddled with a really bad loading screen. Like some people did, maybe the game oh. had been patched, but I'm not sure, but I've heard people who like will die at a combat encounter and have be forced to go back like 20, 30 minutes worth of puzzling. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And then die again in the same place. And it's just like, well, fuck, you know, like, I don't want to do this. Or they get stuck in a save where like they load with no health and in front of an enemy that kills them. Like, it's really, really bad. Uh, But I didn't get that. So I can't complain about that. That's just what I've, what I've heard to be the case. I, um, I saw James Stephanie Sterling is, is back, um, writing reviews, uh, dabbling in the written word again. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've always loved their reviews. They're just, I mean, they're a walking thesaurus. They're it's yeah. such an incredible writer. Um, but one of the reviews that brought them back, I think maybe their, their second reviews after maybe a five-year hiatus was on Scorn. And mm. they talked about getting reamed by the safe state and, yeah. and how like it set them back an hour or something like that. And they were just like... Well, I've played for five hours already and I've hated it. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you're not going to kind of push through to, to get that uh, lost time back. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, I, I might have mentioned it as well last time, but I was what, I was playing it with my a couple of my work friends watching. And so yeah. I think that was one of the reasons that made me push through. I don't know if I would have kept going if it weren't for them watching. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of James Jeff Stir, did you know that they recently did some writing for Vampire Survivors? Um, is that 
Is that the the writing they did where like they were creating the lore behind like some of the yeah. characters and yeah yeah I did I did see yeah. some of that that looked hilarious. I really want to play that game, um, and I don't think it's out on Switch though. So maybe we can't. I'm, I'm sort of thinking about maybe replacing one of my games in the little list that we might talk about later. But no, I will hold off. All right. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah, Vampire Survivors looks fantastic. It, there was like a moment in in my office where it like swept the you know everyone was. Oh, I wasn't playing it, but like a few people were playing it and just like addicted to it, oh. <laughs> severely addicted to it. It's very Moorish and and fun and cool. Cool. Um, what kind of game is it? Um, I don't really know how to describe it. It's like an auto fighter with oh, lots yeah. of uh, different ways to level up. So yeah, you control a vampire that walks around. That, that's all you do is you just control the walking and the, the shooting and the hitting happens automatically on like mm-hmm. a timer. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, waves and waves of weird little enemies come at you and you have to destroy them. And as you destroy them, they drop little gems and stuff and you can pick them up and upgrade your auto auto attack abilities and there's all sorts of cool different attacks and levels and yeah lots of cool oh, things go cool on. it kind of sounds a little bit similar to loop hero yeah quite similar to loop hero but maybe a little more free like yeah the, yeah loop hero like once you're on the track you're kind of on the track you know yeah i i i loved the first 10 hours of loop hero but mm. it did get a bit stale because there wasn't really that much going on. And, like, the randomization of weapons and stuff you pick up weren't that yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, still a cute little game, though. Totally. Yeah, Loop Hero, if you haven't tried it, go give it a crack. And also Vampire Survivors, I reckon that's, uh, that's, a, that's a go as well. If you uh, have a... Sp- I think it's, like, $3, dude. So Oh, my God, yeah. It's one of those wow. games that was, like you know, it came out at that price point and everyone was like, oh, okay. And then it got so popular that it's just done amazingly, oh, <laughs> even though it's so great. cheap. That's yeah, awesome. That's uh, always cool to see. All right. Um, well, um, you mentioned a game club. Um, a, a game club. Sh- yeah. Should we, should we talk about that a little bit? Because we mentioned it again. Uh, time is weird for me also. I can't remember when we mentioned it, but we talked about like each month uh, highlighting a game that we wanted to play and then, like, maybe talking it through on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you so, want to do that right now? Yeah. Do you, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're doing it. Um, <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> so we uh, put a bunch of games together, Joe and I. Uh, I picked three games and Joe picked three games. Uh, I don't know if we should read all the games out, but what we're going to do is roll a 1d6 um and then whatever number that is is going to be november's game um so the the kind of idea here is we've kept games like um relatively short relatively cheap hopefully accessible on like a couple of different consoles and and pc so like if you're listening and you want to play along during november that it's easy for you to find um but yeah I guess uh, if I roll a one, it'll be my first game. And if I roll a six, it'll be Joe's last game. Does that sound good, Joe Tool? Yeah. I mean, so the main idea here is it's like um, we want to have, 
I mean, it's, it's not like we're ever short of anything to talk about on the pod. <laughs> but like <laughs> something that if this, you know, that we're playing that you guys listening can also play and, you know, send us your thoughts and emails or whatever, you know, mm. as, as you're going through it. Because we're going to have stuff to say about these games. And also we would love to hear about what you think about them. Because, you know, every week we say what we what games we've been playing. But like, you know, not everyone's playing Scorn and not everyone's playing um demo of blood or whatever (laughs) like it would be cool to have a little bit of you know people who've who you know everyone's playing the same stuff or at least we know we suggest that you should try this out um and i I pick games that i think uh would be fantastic and i'm I'm looking at darren's list as well and it looks really cool as well so yeah it's not like we just randomly chose some games we deliberately picked pick some i reckon stellar titles here that um i would encourage people to play any of them so yeah what, what we what we end up with will hopefully be a nice little conversation piece for us to have with you guys and or you folk and and um yeah see see how it goes we'll give it a we'll give it a try at least well said well said yeah we'll we'll, we'll give it a, a couple of months and see how we go um yeah. all right so let's see here i got a 1d6 on google i'm gonna roll i'm gonna record so i can send you the video Ooh. just for shits and gigs all right uh i'm a rolling Oh no! Oh Google! <laughs> oh no! Oh Google! Come on, bro! <laughs> What's happened? It's a two. Ah, oh, very nice. Death's door. All Death's right. Door. All right. Cool. Um. All right. I'll stop recording that. Awesome. So I mean, Death's Door is a game I actually heard about on James Stephanie Sterling's top ten, uh, five list from a couple of years ago. Oh, right. Um, yeah, they were just like, the soundtrack is beautiful. It's um, that indie studio that did Titan Souls. I don't know if you ever played that, but that was like a really oh. cute game where yes. you, you had like a bow and one arrow and you had yes. to like, it was basically like a big boss rush. Um, and yeah, so this is their follow-up and it just, it looks really cool. Yeah, um, I remember um, I gifted someone this game a while ago, and oh. um, I remember wanting to play it, but just not having the time at the time. So, um, yeah, I'm keen to give it a go. It looks very stylish and cool. Awesome. Um, and if you're listening to this, wait, when will this air? A week from now? That'll be like November 3rd or 4th. Um, yeah. It's on sale on the PlayStation Store until November 8th. Oh, so, cool. How much is the sale? I think it's like 15 Australian dollars. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be playing this uh, throughout November, and then uh, maybe last week in November we'll we'll cap it off and have a a Death Door episode. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We can talk through it and and everything. Um, hell yeah, man! I'm excited. I'm excited. Cool. cool. Yeah, let's do it. And we're just gonna we've got all these other sick looking games on that list, and we're just gonna leave them hidden and uh, roll another one d six in December. Yeah, and we'll just replace Death's Door with something else, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See. Oh, that sounds dope. Cool. All right. Um, do you want some chicken pieces? 
I do. But first, I want to just touch quickly on the end of Scorn. Um, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, you did tell me about this. This is this is worth highlighting. <laughs> yeah, just to circle back to it, because there's... Um, I feel like I got a little bit sidetracked with talking about others. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Scorn uh, is a beautiful game. It has amazing audio, amazing visuals. The artists have really... It's like an artist's dream project, I think, just to do all this stuff. Right. Um, there's some beautiful, like, uh, environment stuff. They do these, like, almost murals uh, out of the Geiger-esque things that just you just sit in front of them and and drink from the fountain of that is the incredible art mm-hmm. um, at numerous points. Um, however, like I said last time, this, the puzzles are kind of pointless and the enemy encounters are bad. Mm. And so when, when you rock up to the end and, you know, you can tell that things are sort of ramping up um, and you you hit the sort of final few cutscenes. none of it really lands and none of it really is earned. So right. like, yeah, there's, there's all this stuff that you do to like activate these, what look like two pregnant lady statues. <laughs> and then you transfer your consciousness into one of them. And another one sort of goes a little bit wrong. And then you, it's it's like pilotable by you also by pressing spacebar mm-hmm. and so your original body gets like destroyed but your consciousness is in a different you know one of the pregnant lady bodies and so mm-hmm. you're sort of working around as, as that and like it, like in, none of that has any bearing on what has happened so far like it doesn't you know it's not like in bioshock how you're like you, you've always kind of got the idea that you want to escape to the surface you know mm. like get, you know, you got to figure out who Andrew Ryan is and get out on a, you know, catch the next submarine or bath, whatever it is out of there. Um, yep. In this, it's just like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. <laughs> I don't know anything that's going on. And now oh, I'm wow. like a whole different character. And why is all this stuff happening? And then there's this scene. This is like right at the end. So skip ahead maybe a couple of minutes if you care about Scorn spoilers. But I'm telling you now, you really don't care about some Scorn spoilers. <laughs> there's nothing to be spoiled, really. Uh. Um there's this like horrible fellatio scene where like um, uh, one of the like metallic, you know, me- what do you call them? Mechs basically uh-huh. like suck, sucks you off. Which <laughs> is really like, uh, I don't know, like sex in video games. We can have a chat about that another time perhaps, but this was, it just felt so random and unearned and just like out of nowhere, you know, like all this yucky stuff was happening and there's like, you know, body <laughs> horror or whatever. But then this thing happened and I was like, you know, what's the, what's the point here? Like, are they saying that my consciousness is being transferred through this mechanism? Is that what's going on? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I personally thought it was horrid and I'm not like, you know, (laughs) anti-sex in games. I think it's fine. I mean, dude, this doesn't really, like, if, if I was like, oh man, let's talk about sex in games and you mentioned Scorn, I'd be like, dude, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, it didn't, it, it didn't feel earned is kind of like what I'm trying to get at here. It wasn't like leading up to this. There was no like, I mean, sexual imagery is kind of rife with Geiger, but it felt like, um, it felt like it was not anything that had been hinted at or suggested would happen in the history of the game or like anything that you've done so far. It didn't feel like it was leading up to it, you know, like you could look down at your body and there was nothing there. And right. so when, you know, when the scene kind of happened, it was like, where did that appendage come from? And what the hell's happening now? You know, like, mm, yeah, okay. it was just, 
really odd. Um, and so I just wanted to yell about that for a little bit before we, <laughs> before yeah, we moved on. Very fair. Um, yes. yeah. Sh- shock value stuff, especially like right at the end of a multi hours long experience feels really yeah. cheap. Totally. Shock value is exactly how I would put it. Yeah. That's well said. Um, and then a couple of things I wanted to p- chat on because I was listening to last week's episode. Oh uh, yeah, bro. Lay it on me. Um, the one about uh, e- e-shops and stuff uh, and like subscription services, sorry. Oh, yep, 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 yep. yep. Um, and I think it was kind of highlighted to me in this post that I saw, it was like someone's mum with a bunch of CDs on a table mm-hmm. and the person filming was like their daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And their daughter was saying, oh, you know, you don't need all these CDs. We can, we can throw them out. You know, we've got Spotify. Like, we'll just, like, it'll take me you know, two seconds to find the song that you're looking for. Whereas you, if you want to try and find it in this pile of CDs, you, you know, it'll take you 10 minutes and you might not mm-hmm. even be able to listen to it because it's, we don't have a CD player in the house anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, but same thing applies for video games. You know, like if you've got a hard copy collection, you can loan the copies to people. Mm. Uh, if you've got, uh, you know, there's resale value or like loaning to friends, like I said, or there's like, happy accidents of discovering just by like looking at your shelf, which is kind of a nice thing, you know, like every now and then I'll go and look at my, my bookshelf where I keep a bunch of old games and be like, Hey, I really want to play this again. And then, Mm. you know, sort it out. Yeah. Whereas like, if it's on a big subscription library wall, it's like a lot of that stuff is hidden to you. You can't loan stuff. You can't resell stuff. If the service ever goes offline, none of those games are available to you anymore. Sometimes games leave the service inexplicably, you know, like Sable was a game that I was thinking about putting on the list for our thing but I couldn't because it left <laughs> the bug I mean I could have put it on there we could have just bought it I suppose but it would have been made things easier if it was on the service like Microsoft game service like yeah so stuff coming and going is a whole other thing um but yeah, yeah I don't know there's just like all these parts of like subscription models that like are kind of nasty and like don't you know lend themselves to um organic and interesting situations like loaning people games or reselling things or stumbling across hidden gems that you'd forgotten about. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think it is a bigger topic than we gave it credit for because we were totally. kind of like running out of time on the episode. And yeah. Like, oh, we, we don't know if we have much to say about this, but after that we episode, did. I was thinking about it a fair bit as well. And we, we did talk ages and ages ago about the joy of like going to video easy or like a video rental place and Mm. just looking at these cooked like ps2 games that you'd never heard of but you've rented everything else there so like you would give it a crack um and i think like a digital storefront remove that ability to find things because there's algorithms set in place to kind of give you what you want but sometimes there's real euphoria in in playing what you didn't realize you wanted you know and you kind of find a hidden gem and you're like oh this is fucking weird and great um and yeah i think i think you're right i think there's a whole kind of slew of annoying things that comes with game libraries um outside of like all the the corporate um financial stuff that we we spoke about on the episode um, but yeah, as, as a consumer, it's just, I feel like we're in that same position when we moved from like hardware to digital, like mm. I, I probably buy 95% of the games I buy digitally. Um, yeah. 
And I think we're kind of in that position where we're going to move from like digital storefronts and like owning a game digitally to like, you know, streaming or subscription services where we, where we rent it and then it's gone forever and lost to the weird subscription model that we used at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I look back at like my Nintendo 64 or whatever and like the cartridges that are just like laying around mm. and I can plug that dang thing in anytime I'll play it put plug it in 30 <laughs> years in the future as long as the TV has the right ports and play any game I want that I have whereas <laughs> yeah. like if I want to play you know my PlayStation 4's digital copy of Death Stranding like that probably won't be able to be online because whatever service I was using is no longer around in 30 years like Ooh, who knows it- is this a segue to the first piece of the three-piece feed? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's segue. The original Dark Souls has had its PC servers shut down for good. See? See what I'm talking about? <laughs> See this shit? <laughs> R.I.P. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we, we have the Dark Souls remaster, which is a really generous title for that game. Like, they remastered fucking nothing about that game. They fixed right. nothing. The The frame rate in Blight Town is fixed. That's about it. Yeah. Um, but it is there as um, just an opportunity for people to play a now decade-old game um, yeah. with the online service on. But yeah, for PC users, the, uh, users, the original Dark Souls is gone. Um, you can obviously still boot that shit up and play without other people's messages and invasions and stuff, but um, a lot of spice that comes from Dark Souls comes from the online stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, what else have I got here? Oh, uh, Kojima met up with Triple R director S.S. Rajamouli. Um, have you seen Triple R? No. Oh, my God. So, so worthwhile. It's... Okay. Um, it's on Netflix. It's the most, um, I think it's the most popular film to come out of Bollywood, outside of Bollywood, if that makes sense. Oh, I know what Triple R is. Yes, yes. I haven't seen it, though, and it looks fantastic. Oh, it's fucking awesome. It's yeah. it's really worth your time. If, if, if you're into, like, uh, man, even superhero movies. Um, yeah. But, man, if you just, if you kind of like John Wick or even if you didn't John Wick but you just wanted the tone to be uh, a little bit more happy go lucky um this yep. is the film for you it's it yeah it's it's just a fantastic fucking ride yep. um so he's been scanned by Kojima Productions um and we might see him in Death Stranding 2 maybe i guess yeah right um, did i did you see um sorry you go <laughs> I was. Uh, I think we're about to say the same thing. I yeah. saw today that Kojima said about his new <laughs> game. It's basically a new medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like something Kojima would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, all right, dude. Uh, yeah. Oh, before before I feed you the last chicken piece, I've just got two quick updates about um, previous feeds. Uh, I feel like it's it's our duty just to give a quick Helena Taylor update and the oh, yeah. Bayonetta yeah. 3 debacle. Yeah. So she jumped on Twitter a couple of days ago and basically admitted to lying by omission. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So she tweeted that her initial offer was around $15,000, but her offer to voice another character that would appear in the game would be for $4,000. 
Um, so again, kind of a oh. shitty thing to do, especially yeah. in a public arena. Um, but even even in her latest tweet, she's still sticking to her Bayonetta is a $450 million franchise. Yeah. And, and she's even got the gall to put in parentheses, not counting merchandise. Um, yeah. Which, oh man. What like, merchandise? <laughs> yeah, dude, like Bayonetta is not the biggest IP in the world. I don't know. I don't know where these numbers are coming from. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe there's a whole world of like Bayonetta merchandise I'm missing out on here, but it's not like, you know, Kim Kardashian where a lot of the money comes from merchandise, you know, perfume, clothing, accessories, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a fucking Bayonetta perfume floating around out there. Maybe there <laughs> is. I don't know. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Bayonetta 3's out. Yeah, um, it looks cool. Yeah, I mean... I, I still need to play the the other two Bayonettas, but uh, yeah, the the new one, I saw a trailer, it looked fucking awesome, it just looks like such a good time. Yeah, man, um, the only thing that I'm kind of disappointed with Bayonetta is, like, the fact it's a Switch exclusive. Yeah, well, nah, the first one's on X-Bone, um, it's yeah, on Xbox. Right. Um, what about the yeah, sequel? Yeah, the sequel, I mean, unless some, um, I don't know some legal shit happened in the background. Like the sequel was a Wii U exclusive, which yeah. was obviously just never a good idea, but Nintendo were like, please put games on our failing platform. Yeah. Um, and then they moved that to switch, but yeah, I yeah. don't, I don't know if other consoles were able to pick up the like Bayonetta one, two package that the switch has. Right. Yeah. I, I think like from what I can tell the, like three is so bombastic and over the top that it's actually hampered by the hardware, like the, the ability oh. to really have certain amount of things on screen at one time, and like the size of the environments is sort of too small for the level of the thing that they're trying to accomplish with a lot of the fights in Bayo Three. Um, right. But you know, I don't think that's it's like you know they haven't been able to achieve it. They're just like right at the edge of the hardware, which is mm. um, kind of a shame. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with a, with the game as bombastic as Bayonetta, that can definitely be a mark against it. But let's not forget, uh, you know, The Last of Us 3, uh, sorry, The Last of Us coming out on PlayStation 3, you know, that was pushing that hardware to the limit, but it fucking delivered. Yeah, um, well, I mean, like, the PlayStation 3 is probably still more powerful than the Switch, right? So... <laughs> Is that true? Oh my god. I think god. there's mobile phones coming out these days that have more graphical power than the Switch. Uh, oh well, according to Steam, you should be uh, emulating the Switch on their Steam Deck, so... Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that that ad that they no, released? No, I didn't. Oh man, they released an ad, like an official ad, and it like had a switch emulator on the oh. screen <laughs> oh. yeah they they quickly removed it but holy shit what a mistake to make yeah goddamn. i mean oh, every time every time i see some more uh steam deck stuff i'm like do i buy one of these little sneaky little boys and uh, <laughs> become the emulation god that i know i want to be uh, yeah yeah i mean man that's uh that's another topic for another time fucking emulation and piracy i'd love yeah. to i'd love to dive into that and learn some more about it um yeah man yep at the risk of the three-piece feed lasting forever uh the other update i have is around the disco elysium stuff um, oh nice yeah, yeah so robert kervitz has officially filed a lawsuit against zam um and martin luiga who is 
the co-creator for the original Zaam Collective and the person who kind of kicked all this uh, media coverage off has indirectly suggested that Robert's intent is to take back control of the IP. Right. Um, so yeah, that you know that that reading in between the lines there is like the the three figureheads were fired and the Zaam Studio were like, this is our IP now. And right. Yeah, I think it would be beneficial for all of us for uh, Kervitz to win this and get the IP yeah. back and either yeah. do nothing with it or if they were to do something with it, at least we'd be in the hands of the original creators. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that's uh, that's official. That's happening. We'll, uh, we'll have wow. to watch, watch this space. Yeah, follow up on that when progress happens. This is one of those like situations where it's not going to get heard until like three years in the future or whatever a hundred percent especially especially it's going through fucking estonia's courts like it's yeah it's it's going to be messy and prolonged and all that all that crap love Um, it i love it i love the future Um, uh just finishing off i feel like i had to throw this one in here yeah, um, yeah. Okay, The Tenant is a landlord video game out now for no. PC. It's a management game where you see to the needs of your tenants and no. fix things, etc. Um, it doesn't sound too. It doesn't sound too realistic. But as Luke Plunkett, writing for Kotaku, aptly commented, Kotaku, uh, <laughs> Kotaku, uh, they wrote. A realistic game about a landlord would involve you being the most disgusting piece of shit on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the three-piece beat. That's great. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Um, welcome over to Joe's Anime Corner. Well, <laughs> before we head over into the topic. Um, oh, my God. To... I'm here for Joe's Anime Corner. Yeah? All right, yeah. sick. <laughs> um. So I, I made a mistake when I was talking about Chainsaw Man the other day. Uh, oh, the main character actually does start the anime. Uh, sorry, the manga with an eye patch. I was wrong. They're, oh, yeah. So what happens is he has the eye patch in the beginning. Um, as soon as he becomes the Chainsaw Man, he loses the eye patch, and when he goes back to being Denji, his eye is back. So um, yeah, one of the things about devils in that show is that when they drink blood, they heal. So right, uh, yeah, he is part devil, and so he he heals his eye. There you uh, go. So yeah, I was wrong about the eye patch being a big design change. It's just uh, it's just the way I remember. I just don't remember, like I couldn't remember that. So I was like rereading the first few issues last night. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So they're they're now up to episode three. Yeah. And that's that's the end of the first book, basically. So right. one one book in, three episodes in. I'm guessing they're going to continue that fashion. Yeah. Okay. And how many how many books are there altogether? Like, is the story finished on the manga side of things? The main arc is finished. Um, right. They've started the second arc, but that is in only in Japanese right now, and we're waiting until like next month before the English translation gets shipped. Right. I see. Like third of November, I think, is when it's supposed to come out over here. Uh, cool. So pretty soon. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I think they they said there'll be twelve episodes or something like that. So I think they're going to get up to a certain point, uh, which isn't very far in. You know, it's only a couple books in. Um, right. I see. Three or three books in. So, but yeah, I'm still still pumped as to see what they do with a bunch of stuff in that show. Hell yeah. 
Yeah, um, I, li- I, I liked episode three. The the fight scene was cool. Yeah, yeah. The uh, bat devil was was there, and, yeah. and he was being gross. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, very grotesque shit on display in this anime. Yeah, it's gonna keep getting more gross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I also watched season two of Mob Psycho 100, which was really cool. Oh, fuck yeah. What do you think? Yeah. It was very cool. I um I hadn't seen all of it. I think that when I first tried to watch it, I got like a few episodes in and then dropped it for some reason. So yeah, right. I, I enjoyed watching it. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. The writing in that show is really nice. Like they somehow managed to do a bunch of stuff um, with like the dialogue that mm. is really crafty, uh, like even to translate it over from Japanese to English and maintain a lot of what they did mm. um was really cool um yeah, and, but... and yeah all of the animation's beautiful obviously yeah i love the the art style in mob like when they're using their psychokinetic powers or whatever mm. like i love the shimmeriness yeah of everything it's it's yeah it's awesome looking yep 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 so i'm keen for watching season three of that and uh and uh, what else is there? There's Spy X Family, which is just slowly coming out every Monday for me. So I've been watching that that drivel. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much it for the anime corner. Hell <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to come back to Joe's yeah. anime corner. <laughs> All right. Shall we dip our disgusting gamer toes into this week's uh, topic? 100%. All right. All right. So this week, I wanted to talk about uh, good UI and bad UI in video games. Alrighty. Um, so th- this sort of came up this week because we were talking about UI at work. and um, Oh, yeah. And how, you know, certain... It, it sort of came to our um, attention that sometimes stuff requires UI and sometimes stuff does not. Mm. And I think a lot of the time, UI ends up being like irrelevant or not needed Mm, and so like you can show stuff in in the world or in you know in in game situations just by having it be apparent to the player Mm -hmm. like like ammo in guns usually ends up being like one of the thing that that's ended up ends up on screen um but Mm -hmm. some some ways that some games do away with that or at least make it less of a like a number counter on the side is they like have the chamber sound more empty the more that you fire like in gears of war i think Mm. they do that yep yep that's a really cool like in world way of like showing something instead of telling the player something yeah um yeah i really don't like the way like they try to do in world just by putting the the ammo count on the front of the gun <laughs> thing oh, oh actually... really i like yeah, that yeah. i thought yeah. it was i thought it was super well done in dead space too yeah like uh, yeah yeah maybe because that kind of um holographic uh blue aesthetic was what every kind of piece of technology used in that game to display information so like it would just yeah. make sense that yeah. the guns used that same kind of, um, yeah, that, that same way to display things. Yeah, totally. I think you're right. It made sense, like, thematically and, like, with the whole aesthetic of that game. Like, everything had its UI counter being on the gun. It wasn't just, like, one of the guns happened to have it. And right. The rest, the rest right. did not. I think Halo does that. I think they did, like, one of the guns has, like, a counter and the rest are just, like, you know... Yeah, the the assault rifle has a counter, but from memory, uh, like, oh man, it's been a hot minute since I played Halo, but <laughs> I think there's like little 
drawings of like the bullets on the left hand side of the screen and yeah, like you yeah. can it's not like a number but you can see like the bullets how many is disappearing off the clip yep. yeah yep. yeah so they had like a double up of information you could still see even though you had the number yeah. you also had yeah see that's what i mean you know like you probably don't need both um i don't know so um and then and then there's like examples like um uh, what is it called uh wow and other mmos where like it's so ui heavy that it's like there's barely any game to be seen anymore it's just like looking at all of your abilities stretch across the bottom bar and and all yeah. that stuff which i think is just like to me it's really clunky and ugly and it's like the point of the game kind of becomes like you know you, you start playing like a fantasy game or like a role-playing game for the purpose of playing a character not for the purpose of like running a spreadsheet <laughs> uh, <laughs> well some people no but yes, um yeah. I, I i do get what you're going for and i think yeah. um i think when yeah i think specifically like huds or, or heads up displays could uh be less complicated than i think the standard is yeah um there's there's definitely a lot of games um that i play even even where it suits the world building like i'm playing day sex again at the moment um, which is just fucking sick by the way like Mm. i was i was gonna bounce between breath of the wild and day sex but then like a breath of the wild took my breath away um (laughs) but (laughs) i'm I'm back into day sex now and that shit fucking rules but holy shit the hud is just like badgering you with information on like every corner of the screen and sometimes like in the middle of the screen and it makes sense because you're an augmented cyberkinetic dude but it's also just really overwhelming and i don't usually need all of that information at once Mm -hmm. um i just need it contextually um, and since I've already mentioned Breath of the Wild and we're talking about heads-up displays, <laughs> the, way, the, the way stamina's contextual in, in that game fucking rules. Yep. And yeah, I, yeah. I think it would be cool if, like, contextual HUD information could become standard. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit of Breath of the Wild as well. Uh, not that much, um, but a little bit. Uh, and, yeah, I'm, the, all that's on the screen when you're playing that game, just, like, regular running around, is just the hearts at the top yeah which is so cool it's like it's a little homage to the original and it's also really clean and Mm. uh yeah it's just it's just pristine you know all you need to know and even then you probably don't even need your hearts up there they could go away too but something about having them there like i said is like a homage i guess Mm, yeah um So yeah, that's a, that's a, another type of UI. Is it's like stuff that's you know been in the series for a while, and so it just ends up staying there. Um, I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about as well was UI versus UX. Um, oh, okay. And so I might be butchering this explanation, and please, if I am, please write in. This is just my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so UI is uh, the design of the actual graphic of any element on screen that isn't the game so you know like an ammo count a menu that you're in the way that the menu looks specifically mm-hmm. you know what what type of font what shape are the boxes what point what kind of arrows are they using all mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. ux is the experience of navigating around that stuff and also flowing through that stuff so like how in Death Stranding you open a terminal and what happens next? You know, does it take mm. you to another screen? What screens after that? The menu flow. 
Um, yeah, I think I think that's a pretty solid definition. And the key word for UX is is navigation, right? So like right. UI is using the menu, um, or like to go back to kind of ground zero to use this stuff in something like web design. UI mm. would be um, the way the menus appear at the top of the screen, and the UX would be how you get to those menus. Right, so right. like a, a really common test um, they'll do when they're designing a website is like, okay, we want you to access this part of the website. Go ahead and try and do that. And, you know, if it's easy for 90% of people, then that's good UX. But if like a yep. lot of people, people struggle, then that's bad UX. Yep. Yep. Totally. I think that's really a nice explanation as well. Um, contextual stuff is like another nice way of thinking about UX, you know, like the, user only needs to know about the usage of stuff as it's occurring, you know, like in the case of stamina and breath of the wild. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. The heart being the hearts being like, a, a an allowance. So it's like, we don't, you know, you, you know, when your health is full, <laughs> you don't need to keep it up there. You could fade those away if the health is full and no enemies are on the screen or yeah. you know, if your, if your sword isn't out or whatever, but the moment you take the sword out, it's like, okay, we're going to be fighting. We need to know how much health we have. Or it's like, it only appears once you've been here once if you have full health. So there's always like, you know, you know, like a if then else sort of statements about the way that UI ends up getting displayed in contextual instances, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Totally. So what, what are some uh, good examples for you of UI? Um, I think the best UI is actually no UI. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think games that like um I'm trying to think of some here. Um uh I think Neon White does away with a lot of UI during gameplay. Uh, in the menus obviously there's a exception for that. Mm -hmm. Um uh let's see here. Games like Power Wash Simulator, um or games that have like really minimal UI, you know, like Portal, where it's like the two little circles around the reticle are the portals that you can use, and that's that's pretty right. much all that's on screen at any given time. Right. Okay. So you're you're into minimalism then. For um, UI, yeah, yeah. Right. So if I were to talk about what for me is arguably the best example oh. of UI, which is Persona Five, that oh yeah, that's like a maximalist approach, but because like dude changing the accessibility options in that game is fun that's right, yeah. that's how good the ui is in i, I think that's 5. good ux you know like you the way you experience those menus and the way that everything is just like you know um what's it called bufferable you know you can navigate that the entire battle menu if you know which buttons to press it'll just queue them all up yeah um, yeah yeah which yeah, yeah. is like yeah super sick feeling when you know exactly what you're doing um, totally yeah and yeah, changing the accessibility options is fun. I think that's like the feel, you know, not necessarily like, I mean, the look is great too, right? Like the way all of the UI in that game looks is cool and stylish and flourishy. I mean, the, the yeah, the, the options menus all have unique animations, like yeah. Joker swings through the screen and like glass comes down. But like <laughs> the, you, you know, part, part of a good UI experience is... Um, being able to understand what's on the screen and and ch like changing what you want to change quickly, and it mm. does all of that, and it keeps things entertaining. Like it's just, it's unbelievably good design. 
Yeah, it's great. That's a great example. Um, yeah, hell yeah. What about bad UI for you? Do you have any standouts? Oh, man. I, I remember the the heads-up display in God of War pissing me off all the time. <laughs> I thought that oh, was... What does, what does that look like? Oh, it's just... It, it, it was just like uh, Call of Duty, you know? Like, you have all your quests and oh. there's, there's a lot of stuff on the screen. And, like, the the ui of like changing your armor and your weapons and oh my god it was like it felt like being in like some kind of program for pc and designing something you know it didn't feel like playing a video game at all it was yeah, just yeah. so clustered yeah. um and there were just so many options and like that's um that's a that's a challenge for like video games to get around and i don't think like the solution is making your video game more simple yeah, um, yeah. I think yeah, some, I, sometimes it's unavoidable, right? Like in RPGs, you kind of can't just not have text on the screen. <laughs> exactly. The player to read at some point. Exactly. And you look at, um, I mean, I just kind of lust after some PC games that I can't play, but like Frostpunk. Oh, I love um, Frostpunk. Yeah. Oh, bro. That game looks so fucking cool. Uh, yeah, and and uh, what's that game we talk about all the time, which is the you land on a planet and you get the conveyor belts hat factorio oh, uh, yeah. you know like you, you you don't want that game to be simpler like you yeah. you want that game to be as complex as it is so like the solution isn't a isn't a game design solution it's a ui design solution to like make things as easy to understand um as they can possibly be but like it's a pretty difficult challenge to undertake because some games are just like fucking gargantuan in their scope and like take civilization for example right that's mm, like mm. a hugely popular one and like the more recent civilizations do a pretty good job of like pacing the player with how it introduces new concepts and um, like new mechanics that the player has to remember and you know in in a game like that all of the mechanics and all of the things you perform is interacting with a menu um, yeah, yeah there's like very very few uh exceptions where you're like you know controlling a character or doing something you know that has an animation attached even it's like yeah it's all about the menus baby um, yeah, and, and... I think um, in Frostpunk's sorry to cut you off. I think in Fr Frostpunk situation, a lot of it is UI, but they also do a really good job of having it be cleanly in world. So mm. like the heat of a building can be represented not by the meter necessarily, but by how much snow is on the roof. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, okay, right. Like okay, the proximity yeah. to the heater in the middle will like indicate can be indicated by the amount of light that's on it at any given time. You know, if the heat heater is on, then you can tell there's like orange glow on the side, and you can see yeah. the frost falling off the side of the building and then the ones on the far outside are like frozen stiff you know there's no light on them they're just oh, like that's sad so... little frozen buildings oh that's fucking sick and i think yeah. i think it, it's hard to kind of think about this because the you don't want to scare the player off with anything but mm. i think that design is good for some people and bad for others you know i think some people are going to appreciate having a meter next to all the buildings and yeah, some people yeah. are going to appreciate having um something in world that's that feels kind of smart and and fits in with everything else um and then that's like man do you even have the budget to start 
designing two systems for the one thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all right, we want we want players to have the choice between having meters or having like, you know, and an amount of snow or like uh, the the glow of the heaters being really strong versus really weak. Mm. And it's just like, man, having a meter is a lot easier to implement and it's low <laughs> yeah. down on the priority list. Maybe we and just throw it. And everything. Exactly. Yeah. Like we throw a meter in for now and maybe we'll get to it post-release. Right. Yeah. I think it ends up being, it ends up getting relegated to like a polished task, right? Like, right. Yeah. You know, like we'll, we'll push this off until we have a chance to get to it. Like you just said, like maybe we'll get to it. Whereas I think like, Sometimes, uh, in, in the case of Frostpunk, you know, I think it could totally be serviceable as a meter. And, you know, if you were running that game on, like, lower settings, I'm not sure you would get a lot of the same stuff. You'd rely mm, a lot more on meters. That's a maybe. great point. That's a great point. Yeah, like... Um, so, for accessibility for lower-end lower PCs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard It's hard when you're, you've got a game like that that's... I mean, I know there are console uh, versions of Frostpunk, but it, it's basically... Sim City post-apocalypse, very cold, snowy survival game, um, and I can't imagine playing that with a controller. It seems very mouse-heavy. Yeah. Um, yep. But but yeah, hard to design something that has UI built into the world if you've got settings that aren't going to be able to display that information clearly. Um, like that's a whole other bag of worms. Um, yeah. but I did do, I did do a bit of homework for this topic. I, I, I looked, uh, I watched the game makers toolkit video for UI design. Um, oh, cool. and really good video. Highly recommend. I'm way down the game makers toolkit fucking rabbit hole, by the way. <laughs> Hell yeah. Man. I like, I always thought it was a little bit dry, but I watched, I watched his video on hollow Knight, and he basically just spent, 40 minutes talking about how Hollow Knight's level design is perfect. And I was like, yeah, I like this guy. <laughs> and then, yeah. like, I went, I went down the rabbit hole and it's like, it's yeah, he, he is in an incredible position with the interviews he gets from some studios. Um, and like with the, with the UI episode, uh, he was talking to someone from Naughty Dog um, working mm. on Uncharted, working on the last of us part two. And, um, they were like, look, uh, basically, you know, a, a game of that scale is in production for years and years and years, and we don't even start work on the UI until it's eight months from release. And wow. It's, and it's just like, for, for you know, uh, a video game of that quality, like whether, whether you like those games or not, I think we can all agree, like the polish in those games is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, for something as important as communicating vital information to the player, <laughs> yeah. like that stuff's eight months away from release, not from like announcement, but fucking release. Like, yeah, yeah it's it, that, that blew my mind. I was like, wow, I can't believe how much is kind of left until the end when, you know, depending on the game, like a lot of this stuff is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, and especially using The Last of Us as an example, like, uh, you know, the UI decision to use Joel's backpack as a menu, like that yeah. happened in the last eight months. And, it yeah. fe- and it's crazy because it fucking feels like a huge design decision <laughs> in yeah. that game is like yeah. not having 
these fucking God of War-esque menus, but having this in-game backpack that you uh, throw your scroungings into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I, I might have mentioned it a little while ago in another episode, but there's this thing that happens in game dev where, like, you go along the curve of confidence of, like, the, whether or not you're making a good game. <laughs> and it goes, right. Like, goes from kind of, you know, in the middle standard, you know, just excited to be making a game to, wow, this game's going to be so cool to, you know, this is an awful decision. I don't know why I'm making this. This is going to be awful. <laughs> the reviews are going to hurt so bad. I'm, my career's over. So, like... <laughs> The final eight months when all of the bells and whistles go on you know like all of the ui gets added or you know that's not the case for everyone sometimes people do ui a lot earlier mm. um, but yeah there's there's all sorts of stuff that happens in that final six to eight months it's like okay now my confidence is back again and i think it'll be okay you end up back in the middle yeah um, so God. yeah it's a it's a wild ride but yeah that's cool i, I had no idea that they did that made that decision so late and mm. also that they did a lot of the ui work so late i wonder why exactly some of that is but i can probably hazard something of a guess about like dependency on other systems you know like the actual usage of a lot of the design around you know how ammo works and how many shots each gun has in it is totally dependent on like the way the final design ends up coming out and so if you're continually changing the way ui looks up until right at the end, then you're just, you know, redoing a bunch of work over and over again. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, I, again, I just am so out of place here and kind of speaking anecdotally, but from the interviews I've seen with game dev devs where they talk about that, like, lightning-in-a-bottle type of UI, um, mm. like Joel's backpack, or there was another interview I saw with the um, game uh, directors for Celeste, and yep. like they've got a really beautiful um, aspect of their UI, which is like um, in that game, which is a platformer, uh, you know, you jump around and, and climb walls and you've got a dash mm. and you can only dash a certain number of times and you've got to land on the ground before you're able to dash again. And like they, they just change her hair color. So like yeah. you've got red hair and then if you dash, you've got blue hair until you touch the ground. And it's just yeah, like yeah. really simple, but effective. Um, but this is like something that came to them as they were redesigning the movement mechanic and changing the levels to suit that mechanic. And yeah. like, I wonder if they had done the UI design early rather than not at all. And, and so they were like, all right, this is how the UI is going to work. Let's stick to that. We won't worry about it. Like, I wonder if they wouldn't have been able to give themselves the flexibility to be like, oh man, you know, this is, this is a lot more fast paced now than we were yeah. um, originally expecting. We want the information to be in the middle of the screen, but text is not going to work. Why don't we change our hair color? Like, I wonder if there is actually kind of, um, a benefit to having UI come into the piece so late. Yeah, I mean, so in the most recent example, without going into too much detail about the project or anything like that, we were looking at a specific type of mechanic that we'd been working on with mm -hmm. the UI on the screen. And then I think the programmer at the time decided, oh, what if we just turn the UI off? Like, what does that look like? We had temporary UI, you know, it wasn't like designed by any designer. It was just like ripped off, you know, Google and made in paint. Right, um, right. So that was the level of UI. It was it was serviceable enough to know, like see the things that were happening on screen, but it, it, 
when we turned it off, we realized it actually didn't serve any purpose and that, you know, just given the things that we were seeing on the screen, there was enough movement or whatever from the elements that we didn't really need the UI. Right. Um, and so that was a really interesting thing to sort of behold. And that, that's kind of where the topic par partially came from. Cause I saw it in the list and I was like, oh yeah, this sort of happened to work the other day. Like, let's talk about this. This is interesting. Like, right. you know, like you can, you, you can have UI up until a point and then just simply by asking the question, does it need it and turning it off and, you know, and then watching and trying to play and being like, oh, I actually, you either get all of the information you need, you get some of the information you need, or you get none and you're like lost in the dark, I guess. Like you don't really know how much of anything you have left or in the case of Celeste, you know, like if the hair didn't change color and there was no indicator on screen and you were falling for a while after a jump, you might've forgotten that you'd already used a jump or that you touched mm. the ground somewhere along the line or, you know, so yeah, it's cool. That's a really cool and elegant way. Another way they could have done it is sort of like, you know, Breath of the Wild, they could have shown a little meter around her. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just, just by having it be in world like that is, is kind of cool. And how, how did they do the sliding down the wall thing in Celeste? Do you remember? Cause you could run out of grip. Yeah. So they don't show that at all. They don't show your stamina meter, but you, you basically have an invisible stamina meter, um, when you're not firmly on the ground so like you can um climb up you can jump climb um or you can just uh like hold on to a wall and your your stamina meter invisibly goes down whenever you do yeah. any of those things um yeah and, ev and eventually you like i think you start to like pulsate uh yeah, like yeah. you start to flash sorry right. <laughs> not pulsate this isn't this scorn. isn't scorn yeah um, <laughs> um uh yeah you start to flash like very subtly and then you mm. you fall down but because like the the platforming in that game is like pretty fast paced you know when you're climbing up a wall you can't climb for very long you know like I, I don't yeah. I don't even know if it's five seconds like it's a yeah. really short amount of time before you'll run out of stamina um so it's not like I, I don't know the game teaches you early on that you're not going to be able to do too much so having that invisible works in its favor yeah 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 and there's also like the little sweat beads as well i seem to remember or is that just in breath of the wild uh <laughs> i think that's in in breath of the wild he definitely i think that's not based on how much stamina you've got left though that's whether yeah. you're climbing something that's particularly steep or if you're oh, climbing right. climbing in the sun oh Okay, interesting. Yeah, so there's another thing that's like in world, the little sweat beads flying off the characters. It doesn't tell you too much; it just tells you that one of one of those two things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely di different ways to do stamina. Um, I think, which is really cool to see that you know the little flashing of the person. They don't have a, a meter on screen, but it's displayed in a different way. Mm. You know, you could have them getting more and more red until they fall off, or you know, whatever. Like there's there's all sorts of different less um it's it's not that i think that it's like immersion breaking or whatever like i think there's like instances you know like in um, persona 5 where using the menus doesn't break your experience it, mm. if anything it enhances the experience like you were saying it's, it's a joy to use yeah but there's like instances where specifically things showing up on screen or you know obstructing a view or your eye position needs to change in a big way can mm alter your enjoyment or rip you out of an experience in, in different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's funny. I've definitely experienced that, but I can't really think of, of many examples right now. Mm. Um, yeah. There's just, I think when things feel cluttered, 
it definitely takes away from the experience. Yep. Um, and kind of like I was talking about before with Day Sex, even if it feels like it's part of the world and like part of your character's experience, it can still feel a bit overwhelming. And I think that's maybe when the UI design falls flat. Um, yep. But I mean, that example is a little cooked because that, um, you know, that game has a lot of other things that aren't done particularly well that were in my opinion going to be a way higher priority than UI like yeah. uh like script animation you know there's a bunch of stuff that definitely um if they were going to redo that game would get priority over UI but yeah I know what you're saying it does kind of like it's when a game has good UI it's just kind of like when a game has incredible music you know it's yeah. it's not like it's not like a game having okay music takes away from the game, but it just means like your overall experience is like, man, this is a top 10 game for me. You know, it's just like yeah. one of the, one of those little things that really adds up. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it. You don't see it is the old animation <laughs> metric, you know, like, right. you, like we'll be adding the tiniest little rotation on a finger or something like that. And you play it back and you, you don't see it, but somehow something has changed and now it feels better. Mm, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, just, it's a feel thing, which is so, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I always try to quantify stuff whenever I'm working on games. I'm like, does this add anything to the end user experience? Are they getting anything bonus out of this when that's not actually the best question to be asking? all the time you know like sometimes a little bit of extra polish on something like the ui um you're spending a bit more extra time on like asking whether or not it's needed or like you know in, in the case of animation like uh, you know adding things that don't actually get seen specifically mm. for more than a frame or two is like feels like such a, a waste if you're asking yourself does this add anything to the end user experience but when mm. in reality it's like it's all adding to this in invisible stamina meter. <laughs> it's all adding to this in <laughs> yeah. in in invisible meter that the player doesn't necessarily see, but they feel when they play it, which is such a weird concept. Totally. And so have you ever tried playing um, a game that really needs uh, a heads-up display without one? Oh, none that come to mind. Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've tried playing Dark Souls... Um, without a heads up oh, display and right. mate let me tell you that shit is fucking hard yeah. <laughs> like um yeah like knowing when you're about to run out of stamina and how low you are on health dictates yeah. all your decisions in that game and so not being able to see it really changes things up um i think eventually i would like to do like a zero hud run um, yeah. also, also just because like it does re-engage you with the world in a way that's different because in a, in a game where health and stamina is so important and you've got to manage that shit constantly, like you are looking at the top left-hand corner of the screen yeah. a lot. Um, but yeah, taking that away, especially for a new player, like it almost makes the game unplayable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I love what you just said there about re-engaging you with the world. Like I think, um, in games like, um, uh, what's it called? Horizon Zero Dawn or like any Ubi game really where there's like a bunch of quest markers scattered around and, you know, like yeah. a, a go here, yellow, yellow marker on the middle of the screen could have been so easily the experience for games like Breath of the Wild. Mm. Um, and also optionally are the experience for games like Death Stranding where that game can be UI clutter like to the max. If you turn <laughs> a lot of it off, it really does just like 
re-engage you with the world. Like you get to see what's going on and look around you and like it's it's like yeah it's like the blinders get taken off or this mm. yeah some something changes and you suddenly actually start seeing what's what's about and that's kind of beautiful because that, that stuff was always there it's just you couldn't see it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and i think yeah. i think it's good practice honestly to um when you start a game turn off as much as the ui or the, or the heads up display as you can and yeah. and see if you like it because I mean, that's that's what I did when I first started playing Breath of the Wild. And I know you were saying your minimap was off already, but that that wasn't the, the default setting for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, turning everything off and just being like, oh, wow, this is, this is fucking awesome and super immersive. Like, I don't know if I would have had the same experience if the minimap was on or like even if I tried turning it off halfway through. Like, mm. you definitely come to rely on things um but like the minimap in that game totally changes the way you play um yeah. like if you've got a minimap why would you look up at like some trees on a mountain if you know you're following a dotted line totally yep yep you're uh, way more interested in just looking around the world which yeah. is you know these worlds were made to do exactly that yeah <laughs> it's just so yeah it seems like such a you get lost in the design source thing again where it's like yeah how how do we get the player to engage with this one specific thing oh well we need to give them some way of you know knowing that that's there and so you put a dot on it or you you know put a compass at the top of the screen and mark the compass or you give mm. a mini map or whatever it is and that's the thing that that drives the player so yeah that's it was, and that's kind of a gosh we're running over time here but yeah that's sort of <laughs> a bit of an elden ring thing as well you know like you'd see a castle off in the distance or you would see like a little hut in the woods and be like what the heck is that oh, um man. and yeah, yeah that sense of exploration and wonder and just yeah not having to look at the map all the damn time or not have like stuff on the screen all the damn time it's just very, really nice yeah yeah and man elden ring does a really good job of that like the way uh, it makes use of the map. I mean, I haven't played that game since it came out, so I think mm. I think they actually started patching things, and there's a bit more information right. um, than than what we would have experienced. But ev even so, like, it's just like Hollow Knight, like Breath of the Wild, like these games where you use the map as a map, and yeah. you you kind of get to experience the world by like taking it in. That's um that's definitely where the spice is for me. And I think that's where the spice is for UI design as well. Like it's just it's minimalist. It's also based on our real world experience of maps. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think it's the way to go, Joe. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, with <laughs> that, I think we've uh well and truly smashed that one. Uh I'm Look, there's probably heaps more to say. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, uh, we've hit that for six. Oh, no, we haven't. It hit a bird. Yeah, um, hit a bird. So, yeah, dude, uh, great topic. Death's Door. Um, yeah, go play Death's Door, everyone. Yeah, so that, that shit's on sale. Hopefully, I'm pretty sure it's still going to be on sale, at least on PS4 by the time this episode airs. Um, yep. But, yeah, pick that shit up. We're going to play through November. Um, and, yeah, right at the end, we'll do a... We'll do a recap and feel free to shoot us an email as soon as you finish it and uh, about your, your experience with Death Door and we'll wait until that, that last ep to, uh, to go through it all. Sounds good. All right. 
Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Send us your goddamn emails and maybe you get a prize. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. Uh, hell yeah. All right. Have a lovely weekend, y'all. See you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye.